Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991. From the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between, we will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of dark to video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Grand Canyon. Canyon, Mac, played by Kevin Klein, sees his car break down after making a wrong turn in a bad neighborhood. The tow truck driver Simon, played by Danny Glover, arrives just in time to stop a gang that was surrounding him, and the two became friends. Meanwhile, Mac's wife finds an abandoned baby while jogging, and his best friend is mugged and shot in the leg. Screenplay by Lawrence Kasdan and Meg Kasdan, directed by Lawrence Kasdan, and released in New York and L.A. on December 25th, 1991. You have not seen Grand Canyon before, have you? No, and I wish I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I think I hope that like the the snarkiness came across when I was just doing the summary because that's this is this is a cynical movie. I think I think it's meant to be inspirational, but it's very cynical, um, and it's not good. It's, it's it's not good. Um. Well, okay. I was reading random articles, and it seems very polarizing. When this movie came out, people were praising this so much. Yeah. I kept on reading. Even Roger Ebert gave it four stars, and he's and it's in his top ten of the year. It's it's his number four of the year. It's Siskel's number six of the year. It's the National Border Review Top 10 Movies as well. Yeah, and I was reading all these reviews, and I'm like, why is everyone loving this movie? It's, okay, Here, here's, I, I've, I've been spending, like, days trying to figure out a way to, like, but, verbalize this, and I still don't fully know. Okay, it's, but, sorry, I've never, well, I don't know. I've just, uh, then I started reading reviews, like, I found an article about like what the problem with this movie is and they also compare it to the movie Crash which I've never seen but yeah I haven't seen that either but, but I know a lot, I know a, that, I know a lot about it for me to not want to see it because I mean I get it and it's um this article came out in 2022 in the LA Times about the commentary about how Grand Canyon and Crash owes Los Angeles an apology <laughs> because of the way that they portray the neighborhoods. And <sighs> I, I, okay, I don't know about Crash. I don't agree with that part of it. Like, I equate it to the Matrix. Okay. In that. I did not like The Matrix when it came out because 
all of the, you know, philosophical questions that were posed was, you know, like pre-101 level stuff. It's like, what if the world we're living in isn't actually the world we're living in? Holy fucking shit, isn't this amazing? Let's build a movie around it. That's mm. the impression I got. This is the same type of thing except for social awareness. It's like, what if our world isn't actually that perfect? Well, oh my goodness, can you believe there's a homeless person in L.A.? Well, yeah, that's oh why goodness, this article... Race relations. Why, why is there such a racial divide? We both like watching basketball. That's, right. that's what I got from this movie is like, we're not so different. Look, we're both watching basketball at the same time. Yeah, but it's also just kind of like all these other movies that get nominated for best movie and like you know, like the whole white saviorism stuff. Like, we can just get later on in the movie where Mac is, like, offering to, like, buy a house. Set, set them up in an apartment. Set them apartment. up in an apartment. Like, he knows somebody who has a, like who can rent it out to them. I don't think he's paying for it. Okay. He's just, agree- but he's still, just he's arranging like, for them to live there. Yeah, but still. He's like, look at me being the good guy helping these unfortunate people. Well, he also, like, he does address that, though, too. Where he's like, I wasn't sure if I should even bring it up because I didn't think you'd want to accept it because of the racial differences. Like, he does mention that in this. And I also kind of weirdly like how that movie handles it in that it shows that there are other problems because the son, Otis, runs into problems with the law instantly after they move into this predominantly white neighborhood. Yeah. So I sort of, like, appreciate that, even if it is, again, very bare bones. Um... But yeah, I mean, that's definitely a concern. I think uh, the movie sort of has this lens of, like, can you believe this city, this world isn't safe for the rich whites anymore? Like, that's that's kind uh, of the vibe I was getting. Yeah. Because you have this, like, high-powered, well, I don't know if high-powered, but, you know, well-to-do immigration attorney in Mac who's best friends with a big-shot movie producer who has, like, this fancy sports car and gets robbed and shot in the leg... Uh, for his watch uh you know but like the racism it's like it's super stereotypical yeah the stereotypical of everything i don't (laughs) it's you know um davis who steve martin the uh friend who got shot in the leg who's the producer Mm -hmm. like it's he gets shot by a guy who is Hispanic and then they all think that these Hispanic men are like gangbangers yeah I mean I guess so they don't really I mean Otis does when he comes across them late at night in right. the alley um, but we don't have any evidence one way or the other it, it's, it's here's the thing the movie portrays every person of color aside from from Simon. Simon and his sister. The sister. And his and, family. I don't know. And Alfred Woodard's character, Jane, the co-worker, yeah. quasi-co-worker. Aside from those three, every person of color is a potential villain. Like a potential... Someone yeah. Someone to be wary of. Yes. Yeah, because in, in the beginning, in the movie, it's, you know, Simon... Or and that includes Simon. Otis, who is in a gang. Yeah. 
it's just like Mac and Davis are at this basketball game it ends and then Mac is driving through Inglewood that's south central LA and he realizes that he made a wrong turn because you know of <laughs> like he just he can see how everything is so run well, down there's a car with black people in it well, blaring the, NWA yeah, that, that that's, but that's even before that which, well, you know whatever before but, that, he was like, oh, I took a wrong turn, and he sees, like, garbage and shit on the streets to make it feel like he's in a bad neighborhood. Yeah. I think it, it, this is, like, one of the first, well, okay, the very first shots is, again, like, the, the dichotomy the that they're trying to, to show, where they have Danny Glover, who is playing basketball, like a pickup game at a court. Um, and then it's, you know, this really slow music. Uh, and then it picks up when it transitions to you know, like full color picture of an NBA game where um, Mac and Davis Davis are at the uh, courtside, like sitting courtside at the at the game. So it's you know the yeah, the, and the then you see the like of like oh here's this person actually playing it, and then here's these guys who also enjoy it, it but yeah. they're just watching it. They're but then watching. isn't there like someone they show someone watching it on TV? Like was yeah, it then Otis? like shortly after you see Otis, um, the, the, nephew the nephew of Simon, of uh, Danny Glover's character watching it, and then you have a other shot of Jeremy Sisto's character Roberto, it, yeah. who is. <laughs> Mac's son watching it at the same time. So again, oh, we're so we're so similar. I also found it interesting, I guess interesting is a loose term here, but you have like Warren Zevon's song about send lawyers guns and money about mm. how he's getting trouble in trouble with the law. That's what Mac is listening to on the radio while the gang members are listening to NWA's Fuck the Police. So it's like two different sides of the same type of conversation mm. the singer is in trouble with the law but vastly different approaches to it and i'm sure that was purposeful but it's you know that's the level of deep you get that's as that's as deep as this grand canyon gets i thought that it was going to be like a misunderstanding at first that these people who were in the NWA car were actually going to try to help him out while waiting for the tow truck. Yeah. And it was going to be, oh, I shouldn't judge a book by its cover. But no. They're Instantly, actual, it's like five guys who are trying to actively steal him. this car yeah. that is fully broken down. Yeah. Somehow. Uh, and then Danny Glover's character comes in and, and is the savior. And he has to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with the lead gang member it's like this is not how it's supposed to be i'm supposed to be able to do my job and you're not supposed to be doing this at all and blah 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 and like yeah, it's, it's just, very generic conversation like, do can you do me a, this one favor like yeah. simon is pretty much asking and that's another thing that i have a little bit of a problem with is that he says can you do me this favor don't don't rob this man so that i can do my job yeah <laughs> and and the robber uh, rock star uh, is he's like yes I will but I'll remember this you owe me right there's so then... nothing in the movie that happens after that it's it's an unresolved whatever. I thought they were the ones that shot up his sister's home 
Owen would be Simon doing a favor for them, not them attacking. Maybe he. Well, the, I thought that he he was like, okay, I owe you, but then he never went through with it. So they're like, okay, I'm gonna shoot up your sister's house. Uh, maybe. If so, then like they didn't explain that very well at all. <laughs> so, I mean, you could be right. I don't know. But it just seems like there's a lot of unresolved questions within this, a lot of character arcs that go nowhere, a lot of things that don't get resolved, like the son, Roberto, and, and the girlfriend, Amanda, having this conversation about spending Thanksgiving at this... Her house. At, at, at the girlfriend's house. And that's nothing. That's just nothing. <laughs> yeah. The, the only reason why they brought that up is because his name is Roberto, and he's named after Roberto Clemente and there was like a dumb I, I, I think just to show that he's not racist yeah so the he made uh, Jeremy Sisto Roberto like he made a comment about oh my girlfriend's parents thought I was like Hispanic because of my name he was like isn't it aren't you glad that I'm not Puerto Rican or something like that he said something... He said something like, I bet they're glad I wasn't Puerto Rican. Yes. That's what he says to his mom, like, after the fact. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I was, like, rolling my eyes at these comments. Right. Because they were probably like, oh, you're dating a Roberto. Right. I don't know. I expected, like, a, a thing to happen. But then after the, after that comment, there was, like, nothing else about the girlfriend. No, nothing. I think she has, like, one line. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> Marley Shelton playing Amanda in her feature debut, and uh, she has, like, one line in this, but... This is, this has a big cast. I will, you know, I'll maybe pause and go over some cast and crew stuff as we go along, because even though we've seen a lot of these people before, there's still a lot that we haven't. So, like, Marley Shelton, again, been in, like, Death Proof and Planet Terror, Never Been Kissed, Bubble Boy, Scream 4 and 5, and then, uh, most notably to a lot of people, The Sandlot. And it's just like these people, it's like middle-aged people having, yeah, like a midlife crisis. Like, they're not likable either. No. That's the other problem. Well, the it's only like... person, okay, there's two people that I like. Okay. And it's Simon and Jane, Alfre Woodard. Sure. But you don't really get to see much of Jane's personality. You do, I don't know. Like when at, when they bit. get together and they're now a couple, and then she's quote meeting Simon's daughter. Simon's daughter lives like in New York, on the East Coast somewhere. Yeah, it's DC. Okay, and, DC. And she's deaf. She's so they deaf, have and they have this type of phone thing where you type in, so you know the words pop up. Yeah. Which I thought. I don't know the name of that device. But I think it's I teletype. Was, oh, is it? I just thought that was cool to see yeah. how they communicated. And uh, that was it. I don't know. <laughs> I think yeah. That, that, yeah, like nothing really happens with the daughter other than she We don't see the daughter. It's just like, yeah, we know that she's deaf and Simon communicates with her on this device. Maybe she's in the, the last shot where they're all at the Grand Canyon. I Spoiler. don't. Think. I don't remember because it happens really fucking fast. There's like this one shot of everybody just facing the camera, sort of in like a line yeah. across the whatever. And then they span. And then and then they it's everyone from behind to show the Grand Canyon. So it's very tough to know exactly who all is there. So maybe she's there too. 
I don't think, because I don't even remember seeing Alfre Woodard there. I thought it was just Simon in that family. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I, I think I think too. it was Simon. Cause Cause that's, um, that's supposed to be like you know the inspirational hopeful part. Is it was Simon o- Otis and his sister. I don't think Alfre Woodard went. It, I I bet she was. I think okay. every single major character except for probably uh, D. Mary Louise Parker. Parker's. I don't remember Davis going. Steve Martin. Oh, maybe not. It was just it was. But it could have been Davis along Kevin with Kevin Klein's uh, family and Simon's family. Yeah, I don't know. What? Who cares? It doesn't. But, it doesn't matter. Yeah, in the so when Simon helps Mac tow his car, they go to his garage, and that's when they just start bonding, and they mention. Simon mentions, like, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? And Mac is like, you know what? I've never gone. Mm-hmm. And Simon's like, you know, it's only, like, seven hours from here or something like that. And it's supposed to be... I, I don't know. Did Simon say that he's been there already? Yeah. It's like something you have to see at least once type of thing. And Mac yeah, is like... Yeah, he's talking about how he, he loved it because... He felt he loved it because he felt so insignificant there. Yeah, it's like of life how vast. kind of like vanishes away because here's this thing that's been eroding and just lives on forever and ever long past us. Yeah, and it's ever forming and ever changing. Yeah, it's ever changing and all this stuff. And Mac just makes this comment where like he's just too busy to take his wife and son on a trip. Yeah, I I don't find Mac likable. No. This is not... I don't like Claire either. I don't like Claire. I don't... <laughs> They're all so self-absorbed. Well, because it's that's... White, rich white people in L.A. And... But they're aloof. It's like it's like they're not even ever communicating to each other at any time. They're communicating at each other. And they're never actually connecting. And Mac just is like Kevin Klein's a fantastic actor but here he is just constantly I don't know aloof like he seems like he's just checked out the entire time and maybe that was the intention like that he was trying to sort of convey that he's lost or you know in life lost his yeah lost in life and that he's like you know or lost his joy or something like that. He's so disillusioned that stoic all the time. Well, but it just comes off as like he's bored with being in the movie. Or that, you know, he doesn't... It's like he's a sociopath who just does not care about other people. That's what... Even though he seems. is an immigration lawyer where he is helping people. But he's making fun of their names. Right. He's like, every time his secretary comes in, who's Mary Louise Parker... He's like, who do we have today? And then she'll say a name, and he like makes fun of the name. Yeah. So that's that's endearing. And the, but I was like, why are you an immigration lawyer then? <laughs> I don't know. Right. But he even later on in the movie, he's like, I don't even think I want to do this anymore. Like, be a lawyer or work in immigration. I guess. <sighs> and then we have Davis, who like Steve Martin is like this full-of-himself producer guy who who makes violent movies. And we see a part of his movie, and it's basically speed. 
Yeah, it's like speed before speed. I think that's probably the most interesting part about this movie. Is seeing this footage of a fake film where you have two people who have hijacked a bus and are basically telling the driver that he can't slow down like, right. for any reason. And then the bus driver like gets his head blown, blown off, off but basically. the shot's missing and so Davis uh, is is mad Man. that his money shot is, is gone and then you get a little cameo from the director Lawrence Kasdan who's like oh we thought it would be better without it I mean he gets shot in the leg and he's in the hospital recovering and he has like an existential crisis where he's like I don't want to do violent movies anymore like I, I survived this mugging slash shooting and now I want to be a good person or something yeah, and I not so. you you make violent movies yeah I mean that's but that's that only a- lasted for like a few weeks because like two months later he's making like violent movies again or yeah something. once he's recovered he's like no nah, I was I'm done with that yeah um the the stuff with Davis is actually really gruesome and again, I think that's sort of intentional because of what Davis is talking about. It's like, I need to see this money shot. It's not important unless I see like the gore and the violence or whatever. And then when he gets shot in the leg, you see like very graphic imagery of him being operated on. Yeah. Um, so I think, again, that's purposeful, but it doesn't really land the way it's intended to land. But it was still noticed. But that also kind of gets, you know, that whole back and forth of his personality switch kind of gets into this whole other... I don't know who these characters really are, how they know each other, or why they care, because when Davis makes the comment, like, oh, no, yeah, I'm I'm back to the violent stuff, and, and Mac is like, oh, man, well, I don't want to have to tell my wife Claire that. Like, why do, why do they... Why? Why do you care? Why does Claire give a shit? Yeah, I don't know. Like, they, there's this scene where Claire is talking to Davis, and it almost makes it seem like Claire's job is, like, a psychiatrist or something because of, like, the way she's positioned. And yeah, they're, like, talking, like, her... heart to heart. What does she do? I don't know what she yeah. does other than jog and find babies. But well, we'll, and then we'll she also, and, yeah. And, and, and a homeless person. Right. One, the, the one homeless in L.A. There's no context. There's just no context. There's a lot of relationships in this movie, but, like, no context for any of them. It's not like, I know that... Lawrence did the big chill. Which I'm scared to watch again now after this. I, I remember liking that movie, I did too. but it was about. Isn't that like. I haven't seen it in a while, but isn't it just like about death and like these people who like graduated college or something had some sort of reunion and spends like the weekend together? Yeah, it's a bunch of like college friends who reconnect because of the death of one of, of their friends. De- okay. And, and you know, I get have, like, that. A lot That's of heartfelt conversations, talks and, you know, yeah. like, coming of age. These people, you don't even know who's who. Well, like, why, why anything is. Yeah, you don't really know why anything is. And, like, you know, Steve's girlfriend has, like, one moment where she's like, oh man, I really wanted to have a family. I wanted to have babies. And I know it's never going to happen with you. And, like, this is when he's like, what came of that? I don't. Was that needed? Like, well, there was. Some, was that character this needed? This movie is. I forgot. This movie was like over two hours long, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I don't like. There should there should have been a lot of things cut. 
like A and B, their dreams seek flying around the city sequences. Why? That was so bad. It was so bad. It was, it was so off-putting. It was like, why was thing. that? And then, like, is it's, it supposed it's... to be funny? Because I was laughing and I, I thought guess. it was fu- fucked up. It was... But it's just like, Mac... Okay, so his secretary, D, Mary Louise Parker... This is such is... a confusing thing, too, by the way. Because D is, like, at one point talking to Jane and saying... Oh, he's never done anything with me. Like I, I held his hand. Like I, you know, I held his hand in the office, but he's never done anything with me. But then later, like I never should have slept with you. Like when did that actually happen? That that's why I was like, they actually was that before had or sex after? with each other. I don't know. Like, it... like, clearly, fucking Mac doesn't give a shit about his relationship, and that's not really explored very well. Like, he doesn't care about Claire because, as I mentioned before, it doesn't seem like he gives a shit about anybody. Like, the very first shots of the movie are him sitting courtside at the Lakers just looking at all the women he can possibly fuck at the Lakers game. Right. So I was That's like. That's all he's doing. He's not paying attention to the game. He's looking at all the women. Right. And then, and then there's then, this side thing like, with D. D. But D is in love with him because he's such a good family man. Right. Again, stereotype central. This yeah, he's just pure serious. He's like, oh, but he's just so good to his wife and his son, and I admire that. And I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, it's, and it makes it as if she's like coming on to him all the time. Because she is coming on to him all the time. And then yeah, she touch she like touches his hand while she gives him like a file or whatever. Yeah, when they're joking about their names the names of these jokes. people that he's supposed to see and. She touches his hand and just leaves it there and it lingers. And he just looks at her, like, dead-eyed. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, oh. And she's like, oh, okay, I'll she's go. Like, oh, okay, I can, like, I can, I can have you. Okay. But then... Like, that, that, like, it, it, like, almost registered no emotion, like, oh, got it. Filed away for later. Yeah, but then... We, we shall fuck. Yeah, like, I don't know. And, the, but then, I don't know, in the middle of the movie, Mac has this dream... And it's like her naked in her bed waiting for him. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like this he flies really, into her. He apartment. flies across LA in this really terrible like green screen sequence, and then he comes to like this high rise apartment building, and watching her in the window and the boobies pop out, and then everything crashes down, and he sees himself sleeping, and he's like, "Oh no, it's not real." Yeah, and then. Immediately after that, we have Claire's dream sequence, which I was like, why do we need either of these? Where she's just running through different transportation halls and goes to this train and sees her family going away on the train. And then like the baby that she found is being carted away by the luggage rack. And then she wakes up. There's just the baby. All right. We haven't talked about the baby too much. She's just jogging, and she hears some cries, and then she goes into the jungle of L.A. that's near her house and finds a baby in the woods. And, and then she just takes it home and cares for it all day, does not call the cops. Just fucking cares for it. Because, and this is the thing that I don't like about these reviews that I read as well, it's like they're all saying about how you know, she's feeling empty nest syndrome because her son Roberto is about to head off to college. Everyone's saying he's about to head off to college. The motherfucker's 15, he ain't heading off to college. 
He went to summer camp. Yeah, he went to like a one... He was gone for like one full month. He's learning to drive in another scene in the movie. He ain't going off to college yet. Alright? Well, I think she just misses (laughs) having... But people just like assume shit, I guess. Having a baby to care for and then... Yeah, I mean, like, clearly, yes. Like, she wants to... She wanted to have another kid at some point, I guess. Yeah, they probably didn't... I don't know. We don't know anything about their past on if Claire wanted more children or maybe they can't or whatever. Or Mac is like, no, I don't want any more. Whatever. We don't know anything like that. We don't know anything because they have, like, one heartfelt conversation at some point where it's kind of like where they talk in metaphorical circles around each other where they say, oh, this thing that you're experiencing with your, you know, with Simon and how you want to help Simon because he saved your life. This is the same thing that I'm experiencing with the baby. Simon and the baby are the same. It's all about fate. It's all about connections. Like Simon came into your life at the right time because they want to tell you this. This baby came into my life at the right time because it's trying to tell me this. And that's as deep as they get. But again, they're just talking at each other. Um, Yeah, so she finds the baby and she just takes care of it for the day and Mac calls her because he's like hey you want to go out for dinner and she's like no let's eat here but she's like whispering and he's like why are you whispering she's like I'll tell you later like why are you keeping this baby a secret were you just gonna keep this baby without taking it to the police or anything it's like oh I found this baby it's mine now that's but, what she was kind of hoping, I think, was that she, oh, well, that someone would come left home this and be baby. Like, oh yeah, I'm in love with this baby now too. Right, but then throughout the entire movie, well, they do take it to the police. Yeah, Mac forces yeah like this to actually happen. But then throughout the movie, they're talking about officially adopting that baby. Yeah, that specific baby. Which I mean, at the very end, we see. That they do, because when they go to the Grand Canyon, she's carrying the baby. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, she's like, kind of just walking around catatonic with this baby. As if, like, nothing else matters. Or that, you know... I don't know, it's almost like she's a zombie being hypnotized by this child. Because she's probably... She probably misses having a baby, like her, like what she said before. You see, my son is now a teen, and he doesn't he he doesn't want me to baby him. I need something else to take care of. So here's this baby. She, like, she misses being a mother. I mean, what I don't like about this movie is that it does stupid things like show the flashbacks where. He's buckling, where, you know, she's buckling little tiny Roberto into the car. Yeah. And, you know, that's before he goes off to summer camp. You know, she has to flashback and remember when he was little. As if we couldn't imagine that, oh yeah, you actually raised this child, huh? Okay. I guess we needed to see you buckle him into a car to know that you actually care about your child. Yeah. And then, you know, overhead shot of her alone in the parking lot. Um, to show how empty and alone she is in life. It's just, it's one thing after another after another, and it bounces back and forth between the families, and then, you know, like, 
you know, there's that one scene where it's like, can you believe this is happening? And then, like, they're cutting vegetables and, like, Oh, Kevin when the Klein, earthquake happens? Yeah, he cuts his finger and they're trying to, like, you know, they're talking about going to the hospital. But then an earthquake happens while they're washing off his finger. And then as they're outside with the fucking earthquake, the neighbor's husband is dying. Yeah. And then... Who gives a shit about that anymore? Mac that's, that's is like, done. yeah, Mac is like, Mac is the only one that can help this man because Mac is giving like mouth to mouth. And then the wife of the guy who's having this heart attack or whatever is like, oh, he's bleeding. And then Claire yeah. has to be like, no, Mac cut himself. He's, it's yeah, his it's blood. It's Mac's blood. But, I was but like, the husband's like, dead. The husband's dead. Yeah. But, okay, three plot lines or whatever, like, three little things right there. Nothing happens Nothing after. happens after that. Nothing like, with, with the finger. No hospital thing. No damage from the earthquake or anything to report there. We never see the wife again. You know, the the, the mom from the movie Mom is the, the, the now the widow yeah. uh, in this. Never, but then there was never another... see anything with them again either. There was another... Um, neighbor of theirs where they come out and they're and Claire is like did your chandelier fall? I'm like shut the fuck up <laughs> but I was like who gives a shit? Yeah. I was like this is just white people problems like rich white people problems like but it's kind remember of like- did your friend it was something like did your chandelier fall like the last time and they're like no <laughs> yeah. but it's like all kind of like packaged in this way where it's you know after all this happens and the guy's being carted away in the ambulance, you see Mac with his despondent look, which basically gives the impression of, I can't believe that this world isn't safe anymore. It's a freaking like, it's earthquake. It's an earthquake and an old person dying. How is, I mean, and you, you can't. cut yourself. That's Mother Nature. I don't know. That's <laughs> but it, you know, but the impre- like the the they way it's packaged is like, can you because can you the whole believe thing is how like, shitty we yes. like of the town we live in? What now? is going on in this world that there's an like earthquake? society? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, can you believe this? How dare LA have an earthquake at this moment in time? That's very insensitive. I mean. It, there's a line from Davis that kind of says this, or is it Davis or is it Claire? I honestly don't know. I just wrote down the quote. One of them said it to the other. This is an inappropriate response to get a headache in the presence of a miracle. I think Davis said that to Claire. But that's okay. kind of like embodying the way this movie thinks. And I think that's supposed to be a joke. I think that's supposed to be a humorous line to be like, you know, it's an inappropriate response to get a headache in the presence of a miracle. But really, that sort of speaks to how everyone in this movie acts. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> Allow me to be self-centered. You can't be self-centered. Mm. Anyway, Dee's in the movie. Uh, she... He, she stalks. She stalks the, the Mac and Claire's house at one point. Right. And then... But then she comes... Because she's upset she's that, that Mac didn't crying. set her up with a date and set Jane up instead? Yeah, Mac, so, Mac is like, I think I'm going to set Simon up. Who do I know is another black person? Oh! Yeah. (laughs) Jane is black, and she's a woman. And then he's like, are you single? Yeah. Like, he goes up to Jane and Dee, they're having lunch, and Dee is kind of like, oh, he's coming to our table. Like, mm-hmm. like the love of her life is coming 
yeah. to their table, and he just came up to talk to Jane only, not even to D at all. But he's not dismissing D. No, but the focus but is on Jane on because Jane, he has an agenda. He's like, hey, are you single? I know a guy, and I would like to set you up. Right. And she's, she kind of just goes with it. She's like, what do I have to lose, all right? Yeah. <clears throat> and I do like that Jane and Simon make a quick little joke about it. I mean, like, we must be the only two black people he knows. Exactly. So yeah. I, it was, that made me laugh, because yeah. I was... That's why I, those are the only two people I like in this entire movie. Yeah, there's there's a little bit <clears throat> of self-awareness in this movie, but not nearly enough to stop it from happening altogether. Um it feels like it like you're talking about the white savior system like syndrome it feels like this movie is trying to be like a white savior type of a thing it feels like a green bookie type of a thing to me yeah you know where it's like i'll solve it well yeah that's what i'm saying with all these movies that get nominated like the green book and stuff exactly i've never seen crash but i know it's probably exactly like this and it's just yeah meanwhile you have things like boys in the hood which deal with you know some of the gang issues that they're trying to address with otis in that handled a lot better and and it's super melodramatic as well because you have simon who's trying to talk otis out of like going out and being with his gang friends Mm -hmm. um and like stay with your mom and your sister like you know take care of them and he's like you know talking about something i don't know some at some point like the the age 25 comes up and otis is like you know i'm never gonna live to be 25 and it's meant to be like a poignant thing right like that's kind of like a conversation that you would have heard in boys in the hood too like yeah when but with they all knew that they were not gonna yeah, Doughboy probably even says something very, very similar. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I feel like they've said something. He's like, this is the, uh, like, this is just the life that we unfortunately have to live. And that's why, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. wants to get the fuck out of there. Because right. he doesn't want to be sucked into that. But, I mean, it's just everything is so over mm-hmm. the top with it. Because when the house gets shot up, I have never in any other movie seen so many bullets you know just whiz on by going and, through this house it's honestly they, like five machine guns concurrently just non-stop but, and no one got shot no one thank god killed. but i it's was like someone's the gonna get and the little sister in the house yeah i was like oh my down. god i was like oh my god someone's gonna die but nobody did thank god but i was like the amount of bullets that came through that house. It's just over the top and it's just pure melodrama with like the right. screaming and everything. Whatnot. Well, there's another scene where they're just walking down the sidewalk and there's a neighbor of theirs like wiping up blood yeah. from the sidewalk. Like yeah. this is the reality that they're living in LA. Meanwhile, Mac and Davis are like in Hollywood Hills or some shit living the life. Like being pissed off that there was an earthquake and again like it, the the messaging is whatever but i think it, like it's like it's not that it's not an effective message but it's the package of the message as a whole that kind of makes it fall flat it's the messenger who's sending it when you have boys in the hood where you know they're in the alley and you know playing in an active crime scene as little kids that's a much more effective scene 
than just seeing a mother and a daughter walking past somebody who's scrubbing blood on the sidewalk in the middle of this movie where you're already checked out because you didn't like the other stuff that you've seen. Also, Claire is running around and jogging, and she ha- she has to jog in alleys. Why? I don't know. And then she's... Every time she turns down this one alley, she runs into this one homeless guy. And this one specific homeless person. That, like, freaks her out. But she still goes down the same alley. Like, if you're afraid of this homeless man, then don't go there anymore. And sometimes, like, it seems like he... She's specifically looking for him. To be like what? To be like, ugh, the homeless? I don't know, but... (laughs) Like, what? I know the homeless guy says something, and it's meant to be, like, prophetic or deep, but I don't remember what it was, and I don't really care. I know it's played by Claire's real-life husband. Yeah, her husband played the homeless man. I I didn't write down that person's name either, so... Uh, Randall Mel. There you go. Um, He's known as the Alley Baron. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much shit that just doesn't get resolved, or like doesn't really resolve. Like the whole thing with like them moving to the white neighborhood. Yes, we see Otis slammed by the police, and you know, being like, "How how come you're running in this neighborhood? What are you hiding?" But yeah, and they're like, "Where do?" He's like, "Oh, I live by the park," and he's like, "Where?" And he's like, I don't even know, because they cause just they, moved there. They just moved, and he's running what he away from what he thought was a rival gang, because that's all he knows is yeah. rival gangs, and anyone his age that he doesn't know is probably out to get him. Um, so, but after that, like we don't whatever whatever like, happens, what, that what happens to I don't that? fucking know. They're at the Grand Canyon. No, cool. but then th- another thing with D is that she she ends up quitting. She ends up quitting. Because unrequited love. She's like, I'm in love with you, obviously. And she has this whole thing, like, I can't be around you anymore. And then they show this, like, five-second thing where she goes on a couple of interviews. And they're all, like, women lawyers. Yeah. And But then that was it. I was like, did she get a job? I mean, it, but then there's that other scene about her, like, driving away from the house after being, after stalking Stalking, him. yeah. He's, like, super, you know, crying in her car in the side of the road. And some dude just smashes her window and then runs, doesn't even try to take anything. And then the cops are instantly there. Yeah, they're like, oh, are you okay, ma'am? And she's, like, so out of it that she didn't even realize that someone came and smashed her window. And then she and the cop have this, like heart to heart about she's just like why are men why do men suck basically yeah and like the cops just like hitting on her on a yeah too but that's the end of her story i guess yeah um i mean we do see an ending with simon and jane though because he invites her over to his place and that's when she's talking to his daughter on that device yeah and the daughter even asks, like, are you in love? And then they look at each other. And they're like, yeah, I guess we are, or something like that. So that that was, that was a good uh, ending. Yeah. But it just kind of, yeah, it's just a whole bunch of stuff. And we're like, look at how shitty the world is. The end. But, you know, if we go to the Grand Canyon. But there's like, yeah, if we just stare at this wonder. It's not a, it's just it's like not an, an official wonder of the world. Yeah, it's though, not but... an official wonder of the world. But just like... The drift away because we'll be like, look, nature formed this. Like, this yeah. was not a man-made thing. And it's ever-growing and ever-changing. And it's like this 
Yes. I don't know. When they looked at the Grand Canyon, they all like sigh in relief or some shit at how beautiful it is. And like, yes, we get the metaphor <laughs> of Grand Canyon versus the race relation pit part. Like, mm-hmm. you get it. Like, it's very clear from the very start. It's beaten over your head. It's like, yes, Grand Canyon is a metaphor for relationships between white people and black people. And boy, wouldn't it be great. I would like someone who is a fan to tell me why they are. Yeah, I mean, I read Ebert's review. But, I mean... Again, it sort of like went to the same place that he talked about, like JFK, where he didn't like J. And I was sort of the same way with JFK, though, where he liked the. I don't know, like it's more about like the emotionality of it rather than like the the content. And it seemed like here he got suckered into the the emotions. Yeah, that these people I guess, or just like the vibe of it. But like I don't know, I feel like. If you're talking, if the intention is to sort of like talk about human nature and culture and everything, like even movie like People Under the Stairs did it better. Yeah. So there's there's something else going on, and it's just you know different movies hit different people under different circumstances of their lives. And in 1991, maybe you didn't have a whole lot of options that were talking about this shit too much because you know this was. I mean, it was after, like, stuff like Boys in the Hood. Um, this was largely released in theaters in 1992, but it tried to sneak in for award season by having those New York and L.A. premieres and, and mm-hmm. Christmas Day. All right, so let's get into some uh, cast and crew and awards. We already talked about the main things. Oddly enough, it was also nominated at the Image Awards for Outstanding Picture, one of several nominations, uh, several movies nominated for that. Um, and then Oscar and Golden Globe nominated for Best Original Screenplay, if you can believe it. So, you know, the the late year premiere did its job and got them a nomination. Uh, Lawrence Kasdan and Meg Kasdan were co-writers on this. Meg has done uh, Darling Companion and is the wife of Lawrence, but does not do a whole lot of other writing. Lawrence is well known uh, for... Big Chill, like we talked about, which got him an Oscar nomination. Also Oscar nominated for Accidental Tourist. Uh, Saturn nominated for The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and a winner for Raiders of the Lost Ark and Force Awakens. Razzie nominated for The Bodyguard, Wyatt Earp, um, where he was nominated for uh, Worst Picture and Worst Director, but won for Wyatt Earp for the Worst Remake or Sequel. He's also done things like Body Heat and Silverado. Danny Glover, we've seen in Rage in Harlem already. He's also in Flight of the Intruder and Pure Luck. Kevin Klein's going to be in Soap Dish, but I'll figure I'll talk about him now because that's also a massive cast. And <laughs> he's much better in Soap Dish, I will say that. Uh, Oscar winner for Fish Called Wanda. Emmy nominated for Cyrano de Bergerac. And also voice acting work in Bob's Burgers. BAFTA and Golden Globe nominated for Sophie's Choice. Dave in and out the lovely... Razzie nominated for Wild Wild West for Worst Actor and also Worst Supporting Actress, because I guess he plays a prostitute in a scene, and also uh, Razzie winner for Worst Couple along with Will Smith. MTV Movie Award nominations for Best Kiss for the movie In-N-Out with Tom Selleck. 
And then uh, he's also been in like Pink Panther, Ice Storm, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and Big Chill. Uh, we've seen Steve Martin before. We've seen Mary Louise Parker before in Fried Green Tomatoes. We got Mary McDonald's Claire, Oscar and Golden Globe nominated for Dances with Wolves and also Passion Fish. Emmy nominated for a guest spot on ER, The Closer, and a Saturn Award winner for Battlestar Galactica, where she plays President Laura Roslin. She's been in Donnie Darko, Major Crimes, which is a TV show that spun off of The Closer. I never saw The Closer, but Major Crimes mm -hmm. ran for 105 episodes, so good for them. <laughs> She's also been in ID4 uh, and also Scream 4. Alfre Woodard played Jane, Oscar nominated for Cross Creek, Emmy Award winner for Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, Miss Evers Boys, The Practice. She's been nominated for a whole, whole bunch of stuff. It's honestly like way too much to, to even go through. Just all like nonstop nominations for like guest acting work. Um, also Spirit Award winner for Passion Fish, nominated for Down in the Delta, Clemency and The Porter. And she's also in 1991's Pretty Hattie's Baby. Jeremy Sisto, this is his feature debut as well. Uh, went on to do Clueless not too long after this and looks so much different he's he's like, like a little he, baby in this. i know what no clueless was like at least four years later right yeah it was like three or four years later he, he probably had like a he had he, a he had spurt. his growth spurt yes within those four years yes. and put and his voice deepened yes because he did not really have a deep voice in grand canyon it wasn't super you know childish yeah. but it wasn't as deep as you know it yeah now. yeah <laughs> but uh He's also done White Squall, Six Feet Under, uh, Waitress, Law and & Order, and FBI. Those last two are both TV shows, of course. Uh, Tina Lifford, who played Deborah, uh, which is... I don't think we ever mentioned her by name. That's Simon's sister, <laughs> Otis's mother in the movie. Image Award nominations three times over for Queen Sugar. She's also been in 1991's New Jack City, uh, and Paris Trout, and Wedlock, and The Rape of Dr. Willis. We've also seen Otis before. Patrick Y. Malone uh, was in 1991's Rock and Roll High School Forever. Um, and then also a couple of the gang members. It's really hard to see them in this movie, but um, Sean Baker played Rockstar, like the lead member. Mm -hmm. He was in House Party, also had notable roles in Living Single, and also that uh, show VIP with Pamela Anderson. He had like a recurring role as, I think, like the Charlie of the Charlie's Angels type of thing. I don't know. Uh, and then K. Todd Freeman played Wipe, who was like the second in command over there. He's in 1991's Ricochet and Killing Mind. He's been in the Dangerous Minds TV show. Series of Unfortunate Events. He uh, played Baxter Stockman in the 2014 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Also Tony Award nominations for The Song of Jacob Zulu and Airline Highway. This is... Um, last thing I want to mention is Clifton Collins Jr. This is also his feature debut. He played Carlos's friend number two. So, you know, like the guy hanging out from the car when Otis ran away. Okay. <laughs> Clifton Collins is Emmy nominated for Thief, Spirit Award nominations, and Sundance winner for the movie Jockey, which just came out like last year. Uh, he's been in Dead Presidents, Traffic, Capote, uh, the 2009 Star Trek, Veronica Mars, and also a very notable role, uh, role in Westworld. But this is his debut. So three major actors debuted in this movie. So we'll move on to true crime and pop culture. Okay, I this movie was released on Christmas Day of 1991, and that was a Wednesday. And I couldn't find 
too much, but on TV, I couldn't find this either, but there was a Dolly Parton Christmas special. And um, when I went on YouTube to try to find it, I found one for 1990, so... Similar in nature, probably. Maybe, yeah. I not just the exact one. Yeah. But I thought that was cute. And I thought this was interesting. This happened on December 26, 1991. Jack Ruby, who assassinated Lee Harvey Oswald, his gun, the one that he used to kill Lee Harvey, Lee Harvey Oswald, sold for $220,000 in an auction. Hmm. Where that is now, if it's like a private collection in or if like that a was like museum, a museum or perhaps? does some rich person have I have no idea. And then I th was thinking about talking about Steve Martin's music career. Okay. Well, we can wait till LA story if you wanted to. I don't know. Sure. Cuz he'll because, be there. I mean cuz he's he himself has won Grammys and things. So yeah. I just yeah. I will say this, look about Steve Martin is it was interesting to see him with the beard. Yeah, and there it was did not look bad. Oh, there was I liked it. <laughs> um, some reviews that I read on Letterboxd that made me laugh. And, yeah, one of them was like, Steve Martin with a beard? Question mark? Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, like, is that, like, the only time he's ever... It shows how gritty the movie is. He has facial hair. Right. It's the only time I can remember him having or... any sort of facial hair. Yeah, because he always plays, like, some clean-cut guy. Yeah. I mean, I'll talk a little bit about the soundtrack. It it did not chart or anything, but it was released in 1992. And a lot of it is just score, and it mainly just has that song from Warren Zevon that you talked about. Yeah. Like, it will not have Fuck the Police on this. The soundtrack, that no. song is not on here. It's just a lot of score, and it's just, um like, instrumental pop, soft rock, jazz and that was mostly by James Newton Howard. Mm -hmm. Did you talk about him? We talked about him in the past because he did Man in the Moon. Okay. And, you know, we talked about him at that point. He's also going to do Guilty by Suspicion, Prince of Tides. Oh, My Girl also might have been one that we talked about. He did Dying Young, King Ralph. Yeah, that I, I wondered because, I mean, he has won... He has scored over 100 movies and has won Grammys and Emmys and has been nominated nine times for, for an Oscar. Academy, but yeah. it doesn't seem like he's ever won an Oscar. He just No, he has not won. He wrote the ER theme. Okay, well then he's good in my book. Because <laughs> the ER theme is like my favorite. But, but this but the made music, us laugh. Well, because the, the music was just all over the place. and it was. I, I it made, was like this weird jazzy... I made notes where it kind of wanted to be like... Seinfeldy, like I was like, why is this like comedic type, jazzy stuff going on when people are having a serious conversation? I feel like we've seen this a lot in 1991 scenarios where the music doesn't seem to fit the actual atmosphere of the movie. Yeah, it was all over the place. We, I don't know. We thought this movie was easier to make fun of than Cybernator. So on that note, we'll talk about rankings and ratings. Where on this one to five star scale are you going to put Grand Canyon? 
I'm just gonna give this a one. This is gonna that's controversial to to a Roger lot of out Roger there. Ebert. Yeah. <laughs> to, to the ghosts of Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel. Uh and to any movie critic that gave it a great review to the 30, National Border Review thirty years ago, but I've been reading reviews like current day ones and they have the same sort of feelings that we do so it's just like a movie okay. that it does not, not age well yeah it, we've surpassed it as a culture so maybe that means it did its job at the time in increasing awareness it was meant for people who are in their 40s in 1990 yeah yeah that's 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 how grand canyon came off on my zero to four stress star scale i am also going to give it a one I was thinking about maybe going one and a half I was thinking two but I was like I never like I just wish I did not watch this movie like on a technical level it is competently made on a enjoyment level no on an acting level you have a lot of great people who give vapid performances so it's a one Every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? No. I want it, like, erased from my brain. Like, I honestly kind of want... I'm... I'm, I Uh, want to see Big Chill, but now I'm afraid to see Big Chill. I want to watch that movie, too. This makes me worry that I was... But I remember watching that as a teen, and yeah, I was like, whoa, I, I this was, is deep. Exactly. But this like is I not even... I was young and naive, so but... will I come at this big chill jaded now and, like, hated... I don't know. Long story short, watch some of Kasdan's, like, sci-fi shit and maybe big chill, but I don't know. Not this one. Not this one. Uh, if you out there do want to watch Grand Canyon, as of this recording in July 2023... It's available on Stars, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. You can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991moverewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991moverewind or go to 1991moverewind.com for the full list of movies, long show notes, and more. This month we're doing a bunch of like location-based movies. Next week we're watching Queen's Logic. That's on Peacock, Tubi, Pluto TV, Freebie, Roku, VHS, DVD. We'll see you then. Thanks.